here last Sunday, you know that I chose to, to kind of speak along a very sensitive subject. Uh, went back and listened to the message, and, uh, you know, I'll make a little bit of clarification here in a few moments to a couple of things, but all in all, I felt pretty contented with the, uh, the choice of words. It's occasionally, it's a little bit explicit, so that's my disclaimer in front of you, but it's addressing to a degree some of the, the um, you know, the, the, I don't want to say the sexual promiscuity, that's an overused uh, phrase, but almost like the sexual culture that we see in the United States today, but even beyond that, you know, as a pastor, what we see affecting the lives of men and women, even in the body of Christ. And here in just a moment, we're going to turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter for just four verses of Scripture. But we're going to pick up also and read from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, where we addressed Jezebel for just a moment, where Jesus referenced Jezebel. I, I brought clarity to you, the historical context. We're going to do a little bit of that again today. I won't spend as much time in the epistles as I did uh, last week, but I'll try my best to, if you're new to the message today, where you still won't be left out on the outside looking in. But one of the things and one of the means and the ways that I chose this particular passage of Scripture it was the, the heaviness upon my heart pastorally in the context of seeing what the sexual revolution has done, not only to the United States of America, but to the lives of God's children and how that we are in a culture that has um, openly embraced some of the lifestyles of our American culture and then even within the church family, we, we have, uh, we, we've lost to a degree our convictions. And, and I think to a degree the, the reason we've lost our convictions is because we've not been confronted by the Scriptures because it's only when the Scripture comes to light can the Holy Spirit convict you. You know, if you're going to be arrested and convicted, you have to be tried according to a law. And only when the law is made known to you can you bring realization of a breach. And because in our culture today we have not presented the truth perhaps as adequately as we should in the, in the body of Christ, the, the, the Holy Spirit is not, to a degree, doesn't have anything to work with in the conviction that is necessary in the heart and life. But I thank God for conviction. To me, that's a great gift because that's God's means and ability to bring me back to the right place and put me on the right path. Amen? Because if I am going the wrong way, I'm headed to destruction. And, and God, by His great grace, it convicts my heart, turns me around, and puts me in a path that He is more pleased with. So we're going to read two passages of Scripture initially. Now, we're going to unfold in, uh, uh, several passages of Scripture actually today. I can't, I can't not uh, bring doctrine into this. Doctrine is the heart of it. Doctrine is, the, is the, the backbone of the subject matter. This is not just something that I can preach uh, just from my personal convictions. I have to preach this in the context of what does the Scripture say and to rightly divide it and apply it to our lives. So I want to ask you, if you would, to join with me. We're going to stand up and reading of the, of the Scriptures today, reading these two passages. First of all, as Paul writes here to the church at Thessalonica, and I want you to kind of embrace this and, and remember as Paul wrote to the, these Gentile churches that were set in these Grecian cities, you know, God is using this to address issues and individuals in that first century church, but the Word of God is eternal, and the Holy Spirit still speaks this to our heart and life today. And here in the first verse, it says, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God. Now, see, as a pastor, these are the things that I really enjoy, uh, you know, that, that my spirit is connected to. And that is, I enjoy and I'm connected to teaching you things of how you can walk in pleasing God. Now, I know we're pleasing to God through Christ. I understand that the blood of Jesus made us pleasing to God. But our lifestyle and our testimony can either displease God or please God. Come on. And so I want to encourage you and I want to teach you in the way that you can walk and please God. So you would abound more and more. It's a progressive growth in your faith. Come on now, it's a progressive thing. God, God is working in your heart and life, and more and more you're desiring to know Him and walk intimately in pleasing Him. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. 
for this is the will of God. I love that because almost everybody here, if I were to preach a sermon today and said, you know, helping you find the will of God for your life, or if I were to say, we're going to have, if I shut this down right now and said, we're going to have an altar call right now if you're searching for God's will for your life, half the congregation would come forward. Because we want to be in that moment where we're like, I know I'm, I'm in God's will for my life. Well, Paul said, this is the will of God for your life. And it's not necessarily about your career in this particular passage of Scripture. And it's not necessarily about maybe who you should marry or whether you should go to college or not. But this is the will of God for your life, even your sanctification. Now, oddly enough, that was the subject matter of our membership class today. Because that is number nine in the 16 fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God is sanctification. That God sets us apart for His purposes. Come on, church family. If you read in 1 Corinthians 6, he said, you are not your own. You were bought with the price by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Come on. That's the power of redemption. God purchased us so that we might serve him. So this is the will of God, even your sanctification being made holy or being set apart from that which is evil, that you should abstain from fornication. Now, there's, there's reasons and necessities that Paul would write to the Gentile churches. Now, to the Jewish people, as a whole that had been born again, they had been brought up in the law. They had already been confronted about sexual immorality all throughout the law. It doesn't mean that they had always walked true to it, but at least they had the law. But to the Gentiles, the Gentiles had just been promiscuous. They had lived a lifestyle, promiscuous, uh, you know, uh, sexual activity. And now Paul's saying, this is the will of God for your life, that you should abstain from fornication. Remember, fornication in porneoa in the Greek, in this instance, it means sexual sin of all types and kinds and shapes and sizes here. Verse 4, that every one of you should know how, every one of you, all of us should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That's my prayer for each one of us, for my children, for my wife, for me, for you, for everybody under the sound of my voice, that you would know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and in honor. Amen? Now let's go to Revelations 2. Paul is writing to the church at Thyatira. Now, last week we didn't back up all the, or read all the way down to the 29th verse, but we are going to today before we conclude this portion of our Scripture reading. Here he says in verse 18 of the second chapter, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. He said, I know thy works and your charity and your service and your faith and your patience and your works and the last to be more than the first. So it's clear to me that the people that he's addressing were active in their fellowship. These were not nominal Christians in the sense that they were not involved. They were, not, uh, they, they were actively serving at some level in the church at Thyatira. But he said, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. This is one of the strongest rebukes in all of the New Testament. And whether a portion of it is figurative here in a few moments, especially the judgment that is pronounced, I cannot say, or if it's actually uh, not necessarily figurative, but it's actually just to be applied directly. And, but, but let's read it down. He said, You suffer that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed. And then, this is that strong rebuke. And them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. So whether or not that is figurative or not, I cannot say. But I will say this. It is a strong reproof. Come on now. It's a strong, it's a strong language here. And, and, and he said, and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he. And so I suppose that, uh, that to a degree, uh, a great portion of it is figurative. But irregardless, the Lord is reprimanding the church because they have allowed perhaps an individual, but we've talked last week about the spirit behind this individual to seduce God's children to commit fornication. He said, I'll kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But he said, but unto you, uh, but unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not known this doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none of the burden, but that which you already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations." 
And he shall rule them, this is Christ, with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. And I wanted to read all the way down, even though it's not necessarily my subject matter today. But it's the 29th verse, because it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so this is the thing that I want to talk to you about for just a moment of time. We're looking at at Old Testament examples here in just a few moments. We've looked at New Testament theology and doctrine. But for you and I, we've got to have a listening ear. What is God saying to us here today? This is not just about what he said to the people at Thessalonica. It's not what he said only about the church at Thyatira. But what is the Spirit of God saying to First Assembly of God? Come on. First, it's right here today, because the Spirit still speaks. When God's, God hovers over His Word, and God takes His Word, and He makes it relevant to our heart and life. And I believe God is speaking to our generation that He wants to and desires to raise up a generation of men and women that will walk in sanctification and in holiness. Come on. That we will know how to possess our bodies in holiness, and that we will live free from sexual fornication, all types and sizes and shapes of it. Come on. Come on, that we don't have to be like the world. Come on, you don't have to sit in front of the television and watch those pornographic shows. You don't have to slip off to a bedroom somewhere and get on your iPad. Come on and get on that, that, that website somewhere. You don't have to be flirting with that uh, married man or married woman. Come on, at the, at the coffee uh, room in, at the job somewhere. Come on now. Listen, you don't have to. God has given you the power to resist sexual temptation Last week, we learned he gave us the place where to gratify sexual desire, and that's called marriage. Come on, which is being distorted in our culture today. So the church has got to establish some convictions again. And it's got to be something, I believe, that has to be present in our midst that when men and women that maybe have not been previously confronted with doctrine, when they are confronted, they're not condemned, they're not beaten up, they're not exposed to the degree that we're trying to embarrass someone, but they're convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, and God deals with them, and then we're led to repentance. Jesus said, I gave her space to repent of. Thank God God gives us space to repent. So we're talking about today continuance, not just sexual immorality, but we're confronting and casting down the spirit of Jezebel. Amen. Come on, that's, a, that's a very spiritual right there. Just the term sounds real. I, the books are written with that title. Come on, books are written, but we're, we're talking about the work of this spirit in seducing God's children to commit sexual fornication. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, the subject matter is open in front of us today, and we're going to need your help. I'm going to need your help today, God. I'm going to need you to embolden me and to strengthen me and to bring my thoughts to clarity today, Father. Let me, Father, be free from last week's sermon to, in order to have what the Spirit is saying to the church today, God. Father, though I want to build upon what we learned last week, I know that, God, your desire is to quicken a fresh word in the hearts and the minds of Every person here today, God, it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, come on, amen. So let me take just a few minutes. And in my few minutes that I need, I'm going to do a little bit of review and recap and then take us in a little bit deeper direction here today. As I shared with you last week by highlighting several passages of Scripture that were written to the churches that Paul as the, called himself the self-professed apostle to the Gentiles addressed sexual fornication. I wanted you to see that it was not exclusive to one church, but it was common to all the churches. They had come out of pagan lifestyles. No wonder Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you. He was simply writing that before you came to Christ, that you had bowed to the idol. Before you had come to Christ, you were a fornicator or an adulterer or you were covetous or you were, uh, you know, a drunkard or whatever, a railer as we're using King James English. But now in Christ Jesus, you are justified. You're made new by the power of Jesus' shed blood. But we still have to be taught. And as we come into the faith, we learn that God, it's his will to set us free from sexual fornication. 
Now, sexual fornication is often associated with idolatry. Paul would actually write to the Corinthians, flee fornication. But then he would also say, flee idolatry. As you study the ancient cultures of the past, you will learn that so much of their idol worship involved sexual fornication. It involved the, oftentimes the usage of temple prostitutes. I alluded to uh, the, the Grecian city of Corinth and the temple of Aphrodite. And let me make some clarification and some corrections real quickly. As I went back and listened to my sermon, I realized that I, descri- I called Aphrodite Aphroditus. She was the Greek goddess of love. She's actually Aphrodite. And a couple times I actually called her Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus is a male that Paul wrote to in three of his epistles. But when you get here preaching and they get all blended together, sometimes you just trail off on a trail you didn't mean to go on. And so that's what happened to me. But I wanted you to see that the Apostle Paul was actually addressing a specific situation because in Corinth, the Corinthians had been enticed to worship at the temple of Aphrodite through the usage of the 1,000 temple prostitutes. Now, what I shared with you last week, though, is that historians have shown us that the Greek goddess Aphrodite is actually the same pagan Canaanite deity Ashtoreth that we read about in the Old Testament that caused Israel to stumble on more than one occasion in Baal worship and Ashtoreth and we talked about that last week Baal is the male deity he's known as the god of thunder sometimes he's associated as the god of the sky he was the male deity now I've shared this last week I'll just quickly allude to it in order to entice Baal to loose the the clouds to produce rain on the barren fields then what the people would do was they would engage in illicit sexual behavior so that they might cause Baal to get aroused and when Baal got aroused then he would go looking for Ashtoreth who was his female counterpart and then celestial sex would take place and then the land would be watered as a result of the fruitfulness of Baal and Ashtoreth's sexual encounter. Now it's hard for you and I to fathom these things, isn't it? We're here. We've been raised in America. We've not stumbled over idolatry. But the more you study ancient civilizations, you will discover that the idolatry was the crippling component in almost every ancient culture. Even cultures that were highly sophisticated, like the Romans and even the Greeks or the Babylonians, had pagan deities and pagan practices that caused people to bow before idols. So as the church is being established, we're seeing God call people out of idolatry. People need to be called out of idolatry today because just because they're not bowing in a temple somewhere doesn't mean that they've made another, they haven't made another God of another deity somewhere. Let's go a little bit further. 1 Corinthians 10, for the sake of time, I'm not going to post this. But in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 through 8, the apostle Paul referenced fornication, a specific incident. And that specific incident is tied to the incident in Numbers 25. Now, the reason why I wanted to mention this in Numbers 25, Israel has not even made it into the promised land yet. The children of Israel have moved from the base of Mount Sinai and they've started the wilderness journey. But as they go, they stop at a certain place and the Bible says that the people of Moab entice them to fornicate with their daughters and also to practice idolatry. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is I'm just, and the, the, the idol that they were enticed to worship was once again Baal. I wanted you to see that Baal worship had plagued the people of God for hundreds of years. And that again, historians have showed us that even some of the Greek gods or goddesses that were being worshiped at the time of the New Testament were nothing more than these antiquated pagan deities of the Canaanites that were just being worshipped under another name. Say, Pastor, why would you take such time to tell us this? It's because sometimes you can crush the idol. Sometimes you can storm the temple and tear the idol down and crush it under your feet. But when you do, that spirit is still loose. That spirit is still active. That spirit is still determined to seduce God's children to commit fornication. I made the statement last week, and we're going to see it today 
day more openly, but Jezebel perished violently at the hands of eunuchs in the upstairs window at the palace at Jezreel when Jehu commanded the eunuchs to cast her down, and the horses trampled her under their feet. But when she was cast down, the spirits that dominated and dictated her idol worship were loose to search for others to seduce. And let me tell you, I believe we're dealing with something more than just a sexual revolution in America today. I believe there is a a device of the devil, a, a scheme or a cunning plot of our adversary to seduce God's children. Come on, those that are called out of unrighteousness into a lifestyle of holiness to commit fornication. And we've got to be aware of Satan's devices. Come on, and be uh, able to pull those strongholds down. So Paul is warning the Corinthians in actuality of the same spirit of idolatry. Now remember, Jesus said Jezebel was seducing his children to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to devils. Seducing spirits, Paul said, would be prevalent in the latter days. In 1 Timothy 4, he said, The Spirit speaks expressly that in the last days some will depart from the faith. How will they depart from the faith? Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Seemingly without conviction, even in the church, men and women are fornicating, cohabitating, viewing various forms of pornography, even committing adultery and homosexuality, all while we attend church, we participate in worship, and we participate in the life activities of the church. Jesus' strong reproof to the church at Thyatira, he said, I know your works. He said, I know you're faithful in church, but you've been seduced. That spirit is at work today. He's targeting our young adults and our, and, our, and our youth, but he's even beyond that. There are aged men and women that are succumbing to this sexual revolution that is taking place in our culture today. So let me go a little bit further for just a moment. Before we examine Jezebel's war on Israel's faith, let's look for a moment at reproof for, for fornication because God loves us enough to tell the truth. I know there are preachers around America today that don't have the courage to speak the truth to their congregations, and you're not in one of those churches today but let me tell you today God tells the truth God speaks the word of God to us that it might reprove us that reproof is necessary to leave us to lead us to correction and from correction then we can be instructed in righteousness scripture speaks plainly 1 Corinthians 6 that if you commit fornication you sin against your own body 1 Corinthians 6 and 18 Galatians 5 and 19 says the works of the flesh are these and it includes fornication Galatians 5 and 21 Paul said if you do these things meaning if you have a habitual practice of these things then you will not inherit the kingdom of God that's enough to get my attention right there that's enough for me to say wait just a minute if I habitually practice these things then perhaps I'm really not born again and I need to hear the voice of God speaking to my heart and deal with these issues in my life Galatians 6 8 verse says he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap correction Corruption. Second Corinthians 13 and 2, he said, I write to them which hitherto have sinned and to all others that if I come again, Paul said, I will not spare. When he said they, they have sinned, it included fornication. It had been previously mentioned in the preceding verses. And Paul said, and so we think about the apostle Paul preaching on grace. Yes, he would. He was the, he was the apostle of grace. He had discovered the great doctrine of grace when, he, when God had appeared to him over two and a half years in the Arabian Peninsula. But let me tell you, through grace, he would, he, would, he would confront people for the sin in their life and then allow grace to correct them and allow grace to redirect them. Come on. And then allow grace, come on, to strengthen them to be totally different. And that's what we need in the church again. Let's look at Ephesians. It's a little bit longer in Ephesians. It's the fifth chapter, the third verse through the seventh. I just want to highlight it. I'm going to read it with you on the screen. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, then let it just be practiced occasionally. Come on, what's the scripture say? This is written to you. God speaks this to your heart. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. God speaks very directly to us. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. Fifth verse. For this 
you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God's sixth verse. For let no man deceive you because the enemy uses men to deceive us. With what? With vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Seventh verse. And let this sink into our hearts. Be not you therefore partakers with them. God's calling the people out. He's calling the people to be holy. A people that will make a decision. Say, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to surrender my life to Christ and become conformable to the will of God no matter how much it used to appeal to my flesh God you got a way for me to satisfy my sexual desire what's that covenant called it's called marriage come on somebody Hebrews 13 and 4 says marriage is honorable in all and the bed is what Come on, it's undefiled. That means God sanctifies the relationship of the man and the woman, the husband and the wife to satisfy the sexual desires that he has placed within them. It's undefiled. But if you seek to satisfy that sexual desire another way, it's un, it becomes, come on, whoremonger or adulterers, fornicators, God will judge, Hebrews 13 and 4. I don't know what that judgment looks like, but I know this, God's reproof is very direct. Come on, it's very direct. And church family, I'm going to show you today as we begin to transition that I believe that there is a, there's been a shift in our American culture, not just outside the church, but now within the church. Are y'all hearing me today? And now in our culture today, voices that are willing to address issues are being silenced. And I'm going to show you why in just a few moments. And I'm going to show you what the enemy is up to because I believe God's got a word for you today. Come on, what is the Spirit saying to you? said, amen. I'm telling you, the law, God speaks to us by the law of Moses. We're going to read. I know you say, Pastor, oh, don't let me ever have to read in the book of Leviticus. I get excited reading in the book of Leviticus. I know some of you can't even find it, but I'm telling you, God can speak to your heart and life out of the book of Leviticus. It speaks about the high priestly ministry of Jesus. Yes, it does. But it also speaks certain principles to us that I want you to see. We're going to read in the 18th chapter. We're going to, it's going to be all together and read about 12 or 14 verses here. But I want you to see this because I believe this is the word of God. Now, I know that we're not under the law in this context and all that, but I'm telling you, God still speaks through the law. He does. Look at this third verse. I have quoted this more occasions than you are that you care to remember, but let me tell you, let, look at this third verse, Leviticus 18. This is such a critical verse of Scripture to the people of Israel because God is about to bring them into the promised land. He's brought, he's gonna, he's, he's brought them to the edge of their inheritance. He's going to give them houses they didn't build. He's going to give them vineyards they didn't plant. He's going to give them wells they didn't dig and in the hillside hidden is gold and silver and brass and iron and God's going to make them a people unlike any other people because God said I love you so much I have put my love upon you God said I love you so much I'm going to put my name upon you you're my children and when they people fight against you I fight against them because we're in covenant together y'all hearing what I'm saying it's powerful and then in this passage here in Leviticus look at the 18th chapter and the third verse it says here after the doings of the land of Egypt wherein you dwelt you shall not do so God said the way of life that you used to live the way of life that you observed the Egyptians live you can't live like that any longer it maybe it was all right when you didn't have the law but now that you have the law he said you can't live like the Egyptians live where you used to live and he said and after the doings of the land of Canaan where I'm about to bring you you shall not do that either you can't live like that like the Canaanites the Jebusites and the Hittites and all the ites that were possessing the land of Canaan that God had given them to inheritance because God said, you can't do that either. You're not going to walk in all their ordinances. You're going to do my judgments if we had been posted in the fourth verse. You're going to do my judgments and keep my ordinances. Let's read further in that same chapter, the 24th verse. I know you're not shouting me down just yet, but that's all right. The word is still good today. This is God speaking. God is taking these Old Testament precepts and he's making them alive to us. Now look at the strong, 
strong words that God uses to warn Israel about what they were going to be confronted with when they got into the land of promise. He said, defile not, 24th verse, same chapter, not yourselves in any of these things. For in all these nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. And look at this. God said the land is defiled. I'm telling you, America's getting close to the land becoming defiled because of the sexual promiscuity and the shedding of innocent blood. And God warned Israel, and he said, because the land was defiled, he said, I'm visiting the iniquity upon it, and the land itself is vomiting out her inhabitants. I'm telling you, the earth is a living entity, and the earth is affected by the presence of sin. Romans 8 says that the earth groans and travails, waiting for its redemption. The earth groans and travails. Perhaps all of these storms in our generation, perhaps all of the climate change that we hear everybody talking about, maybe all of this is a result of the earth groaning and travailing because men and women are giving themselves over to idolatry and pagan practices are resurfacing in our generation. You know what will turn that back to a time of peace? Repentance before God. Men and women humbling themselves and submitting themselves unto the Lord. Let's read further. All these abominations that he had just mentioned in your own time, go back and read from the third verse up until where we began again in the 24th verse. All these abominations. He said, you shall keep my statutes and my judgments, and you shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation nor any stranger that sojourneth among you for all these abominations have the men of the land done before you and the land is defiled that the land spew you not out look at that God's strong are y'all hearing me today church family listen I hope I'm not boring you today but I'm just here to warn you something is at work come on something is at work Today, right now, in a pulpit like I have, on a stage somewhere here in the United States, a homosexual cleric is ministering to his congregation. Somewhere in America today is a a pastor that's preaching to his congregation that viewed pornography last night. Somewhere today are people seated in the houses of worship that, that, that left the bar and went and slept with somebody else's wife last night. And then they got up and went to the house of God. There's no conviction in the land. The land is being defiled and there's no anointing present. But I come along to tell you today, something is at work that needs to be addressed. The spirit of Jezebel is at work and we need a church strong and bold and willing to to expose the plots of the enemy. Glory to God. I know it's not exciting. I know it doesn't make you want to get up and run around the building. But I'm telling you today, we need the spirit of Elijah in the church, the ability to confront, and we need the spirit of Jehu, the ability to cast those things down. Glory to God. So this passage speaks to my heart as we were to read it further because God said, don't commit, 29th verse, even the souls of them that commit these things will be cut off from among the people. You read the rest on your own. I'm going to skip chapter 20, verses 22 through 27. It says similarly to the same things, but I'm going to turn to Judges chapter 2 for just a moment because I want you to see that just what happened to ancient Israel. What happened to them? Chapter number 2, verse number 11. Phil will post it on the screen there. It says, And the children of Israel, who had the law written on the tablet of stone and also on the parchment that they would keep and share with their families and read, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served Balaam, and they forsook the God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods, the gods of the people that were round about them. And they bowed themselves unto them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord. I tell you, America has forsaken God. Come on, I'm just being truth. I'm not being political. I'm just telling the truth here today. As a culture today, as a culture as a whole, Come on, the fear of God no longer resides in the heart or in the chest of every red-blooded American again. It's, it, it, we, we have forsook the Lord, and look at this. In ancient Israel, they have served Baal 
and Astra. There's those two deities that we've talked about. We're gonna, I'm going to show you a quick image of those. Phil, if you can, I think that's on the screen as well. Because I want you to see, and I know you're not familiar with idolatry, and you and I don't usually pass pagan temples on our way to church or on our way to Walmart. But you can, I just want you to see, I'm not making this up, that these were pagan deities that would have statues of these deities. You see the male Canaanite deity, Baal, to my left. You see Ashtoreth, bare-chested, bare-breasted there to my right. These were the gods, the idols of Canaan that the children of Israel fell prey to. Why did they fall prey? Why did they worship this deity that was made out of clay or that was made out of wood or that was made out of gold that a priest would set in a temple somewhere and say, these be thy gods, O Israel. Why would the people? Because they appealed to the sensual nature of man. They put man in a place where he would gratify and sexu- uh, his, his lowest sexual desires. He would become a base. He would sell himself out in fornication to these pagan deities and it would cause the nation to stumble. And that's got me stirred up today because I think that spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel, the queen the queen would introduce and reintroduce these things to ancient Israel. Let's take a moment of time before we transition here and let's talk about this before I bring you to a, a, a screeching halt here today. I shared with you last week that Ahab and his political marriage to Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, the king of the Zidonians, as the scripture said, had brought Baal worship to the forefront. In 1 Kings 16 and 32 and 33, it says that Ahab, who was the seventh in the lineage of kings from Solomon, had introduced and through his alliance, his unholy alliance with Ethbaal, the king of the Zidonians, in his unholy marriage, which that unholy marriage was a breach of Scripture in and of itself because God had warned the people and said, don't take their wives to your wives. But he had a, a politically arranged marriage and Jezebel was the daughter of the priest of the Zidonians and the king of the Zidonians, Ethbaal. And so she had a passion for Baal worship. And if we read further, we did last week how that she sought, she sought to replace the worship of Jehovah with the worship of Baal. And it became a stumbling block to the nation. The scripture tells us that Ahab built a house for Baal and he also had an altar for sacrifice. He also made a grove. A grove could be a tree carved in the image of the of the deity itself or it could be a tree carved in the image of a male sexual organ in order to create arousal in the heavenlies. Ahab is stirred up by Jezebel and her passion for Baal and Ashtoreth. He's built this house for worship which makes it far easier for Israel to worship Baal than to go to Jerusalem and worship this invisible God who lives and dwells behind the, 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 the curtain in the temple at Jerusalem. He's made it play He's made it easy. Jezebel has launched an all-out assault upon the preachers, the prophets. Now, I know there was a conflict in those days, and the kingdom was divided, and maybe people weren't traveling uh, all the way to Jerusalem to worship where they had the priests and the Levites, but they had a prophetical ministry. There were prophets uh, in throughout Israel, and Jezebel began to target those prophets. She began to cut them off. That means in King James English, she began to kill them, and she began to replace those prophets with their prophets of Baal 450 as well as 400 prophets of the grove she gave them a government check to provide for them supplied for their all their needs off of her table and so Jezebel here's what Jezebel was doing she was attempting to replace the true worship of God that involved the prophetic ministry and a commitment to God's word with allegiance to an idol that had been made of hands and whose worship practices appeals to the carnal appetites of man Let me ask you a question here today. Is something similar happening in our culture? Is something diabolical taking place where churches and ministries that should be prophetical that should have biblically anointed doctrine that confronts the issues of life are being replaced by houses of worship that appeals to our flesh and does not confront people with the word of God. The most uh, growing churches, and I'm telling you, I don't believe that you can judge the growth of a church by the number of people that are attending it. 
I'm telling you that I think there has to be different barometers to judge the health of a church. And many of the growing churches in our culture today do not confront people. People said under the sound of the voice of the preacher every week, week after week with the promise of something good and something prosperous and that, that God is a sugar daddy in heaven and it doesn't matter what your life or your lifestyle is like and it's hindering the true prophetical word of God where God loves you enough to tell you the truth. God loves you enough to confront you. God loves you enough to say this is right and this is wrong. Come on, do the right and you'll be received and shun the wrong. Come on, somebody. But there's a warfare that's going on. Idolatry is forming a God after the imaginations of men. I made a statement several weeks ago and I said within Christianity, we make an idol of Jesus. When we attempt to bend his doctrine to satisfy our carnal appetites and desires. Come on, in today's culture, we just make Jesus an idol. We bend him to satisfy our own desires. Whatever feels good, whatever we want, then we just get him to give us his permission. We find the church that soothes our consciousness and that doesn't bring conviction to us. But let me tell you the words of Jesus. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I tell you to do? He said, there will be many on that day that will stand before me on that day, the day of judgment, and say, Lord, did we not do all these many works in your name? Didn't we come to church? Didn't we give in the offering? Didn't we sing when Shane said sing? And he'll say, I said to you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. You never gave me your heart, because if you had given me your heart, then I would have conformed your life to my will for your life. Come on, if he's Lord, he's got to be Lord of all. He's not an idol that we can make him out of wood or clay or plaster and take him out when we want to take him out. He is the Lord of all glory and he's the soon coming king and every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we need a church that's bold and bright and strong that says, I believe in the power of his gospel to change our lives and thus not embrace the pagan society that's around us. We have the light. The light is the gospel. The light is the power of his truth. You know what? We live in a generation where we are more concerned about the number of people either attending or serving in our church than the doctrine of holiness, righteousness, or submission to God's will. I shared with you to start this service. Let me tell you the will of God for the aged and for the young, for the male and for the female, for those that are working in the workforce and those that are in college and those that are in high school. Here's the will of God for your life. You don't have to call a 900 number to get the will of God for your life. You don't have to look in the horoscope. You don't have to stand in line for a preacher to prophesy over you. I'm here to tell you the will of God for your life today. The will of God is your sanctification and that you would avoid fornication. That's the will of God for your life. That means if you're cohabitating, you need to make a new plan. I'm going to say it again. I know the spirit of Jezebel's fought me all week, but the spirit of Jehu's on me today. I come to, to cast it down. I'm going to say it again. If you're cohabitating, so I don't understand what you mean. If you're shacking up together, then I'm going to tell you God wants you to get a new plan. Come on, if you're watching sexually enticing things on television, God wants you to get a new plan. Come on, somebody. God wants you to be pure. God wants you to be holy. Our culture just wants churches to prophesy good when everything's not good. Deal with the issue. The spirit of Jezebel is at work in our midst. I want you to know that when Elijah, I didn't get to talk about this last week, but I'm going to highlight, and I got a couple more things, and then I'll close and get out of your way. I know some of you are counting the moments until that occurs, but let me tell you this today, it's your free will. You're here by your free choice, but it's because God directed you here. God directed you here just like he did last week. We had one of our biggest crowds of the year last week when I began to speak to the issues that were prevalent in our culture today. People didn't know why they got up and went to church last week, but God was setting them up. He loved them enough to bring them to this house so that this preacher had enough courage to confront them with the truth. Because only when you receive and respond to the truth can you be set free. This passage here, just real quickly, remember in 1 Kings 17 when Elijah the Tishbite appears to confront Ahab. We talked about it briefly on Wednesday night and how that he said there won't be rain or dew for three years, but according to my word, that was a bold prophet of God right there. But what he was saying is, real quickly, think about this. Think about the idolatrous practices. The people 
were engaged in fornication to elicit the, the, the rain from Ashtoreth and Baal. I'm looking upward because that was their expectation. They would go to the house of Baal, pick out a, prost, uh, a, a temple prostitute, go in and engage her sexually so that Baal and Ashtoreth might reign on the field. And so here's what Elijah did. Elijah said, it doesn't matter how many times you go to that pagan house. It doesn't matter how many times you walk through the grove. It doesn't matter how many times that you offer sacrifice at Baal's, uh, at his altar or at Asherah's altar. It doesn't matter. I'm here to tell you there's one God in heaven, and God has given me the authority to lock up heaven, and it's not going to rain. It doesn't matter how much fornication takes place. It doesn't matter. God's going to lock up heaven until you learn that there is but one truth. God his name is Jehovah come on somebody and you know what I felt like the counterpart to that is in our culture there are a lot of people that live together in the Christian church Mm, it gets real quiet in here every time I start talking about that and I know because the spirit of Jezebel wants to silence me as well but I'm going to go ahead and speak it out today many in the church attempt to have a fruitful blessed relationship while they live together or cohabitate together but let me say this God doesn't add his blessing until you become obedient to his will Come on, God doesn't add his blessing. When God blessed the union of Adam and Eve through the covenant of marriage, that's when he said your marriage can be fruitful. Your relationship cannot be fruitful. Come on, you say, well, pastor, I dare to argue differently. I know people in the church, they're living in sexual sin and they seem to be blessed. Well, that may be the case, but I'm here to tell you there's a drought coming. There's a drought coming because if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. Come on, God is, not, God is not a man that he should lie. If you sow to the wind, you'll, weep the, you'll reap the whirlwind. If you sow to the flesh, come on, you will reap the corruption. And so in this context, real quickly, I'm going to close in a moment. Elijah's challenge to Ahab and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Elijah then slew the prophets of Baal. We talked about it on Wednesday night. We bridged the gap. It was brutal, but it was necessary in that culture. You'll have to read it on your own time. Doesn't allow me to take you to 1 Kings chapter 18 when the prophets of Baal leaped up on the altar of, of the uh, of sacrifice to Baal to try to get him to answer by fire and he was silenced and he couldn't answer. You know why he was silenced? Because he was not but a stone that had been chiseled out by human hands. But Elijah prayed a prayer of about 30 words and he said, God, why don't you show these people your God? And the fire of heaven fell on the altar, consumed the altar, consumed the sacrifice, ate up all the rocks around it and took the water right out of the trench itself and all the people fell down and said, the Lord, he is God. And so it was a very, very violent uh, recompense for worshiping Baal. Elijah said, go grab them right now. Don't let them get, escape. And, and they rallied and they gathered the 850, you know, prophets of Baal and prophets of Ashtoreth and they took them down to a particular brook and they slew them there. I know it's brutal. It's hard for us. It sounds like ISIS, but it was necessary in that culture. Blood flowed freely that day as the people of God understood that there was a judgment for the worshiping of Baal. But listen to this, listen to this. Ahab went home that day and he told Jezebel all that had transpired. And when she heard about what had taken place, and listen to this, this is, I'm going to be honest with you. Listen, listen very carefully. When she told, when, when she heard of what had transpired, here's what she said. She said, give me a messenger. And she whispered in his ear and she said, you go find Elijah. And you tell Elijah, Jezebel said, may the gods do so to me by this time tomorrow if I don't make you like one of those prophets. He said, Pastor, why is that? What, what are you I'm going to tell you that Jezebel spirit attempts to silence through intimidation. The prophet, you say, how do you know? I know from experience. I know in the attempt to prepare sermons like this and address these issues. I know when I attempt to counsel people that are caught in this vice. I know because that Jezebel spirit seeks to silence through intimidation the prophetical, biblically accurate voices in the church. That with intimidating words were labeled. Did you know that if there were some people here today writing articles for some of our, uh, you know, our, uh, the, the, the magazines or newspaper articles in America today, they would say, 
say I went to 1009 West Circe Street where I heard a preacher that was a sexist. He was a bigot. He was a homophobic. He was non-compassionate. He was angry and mean-spirited. He was non-effective. He was a traditionalist. He was not progressive or embracing or inviting. He was old-fashioned. He was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. That's what they would call a preacher like me because pastors and preachers that truly love God and his word and have a desire for people to hear and know the truth are being cut off, being intimidated and silenced by those under the persuasion of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. But I came along to tell you, some of us sold ourselves out a long time ago. Glory to God. I came along to tell you today, having a form of godliness and denying the true power of the gospel is the tool of the devil. You need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ in every way, form, and fashion, including your sexual appetite. I want you to know today that God, God loves you enough to confront you with the truth of his word. So Elijah, in fear, eventually fled to the cave at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, which was the location of the original giving of the law of Moses. I'm on the last page, and I'm a quarter of the way down, if that helps anybody here today. And there in self-pity, and I've been in self-pity before. I know what it's like. I feel the weight. It's not that one person says it. It's a spirit. It's bigger than one person. It's bigger than one person. The spirit is at work in the American culture today. When you cannot confront anybody or address any issue doctrinally, especially along the lines of sexuality, because the enemy has seduced God's children to commit fornication. But there in that cave, as Elijah poured out his complaint to God in self-pity, he said, God, I'm the only one left. God said, you're not the only one left. He said, won't you take that mantle? That mantle was a Hebrew prayer shawl. Wrap your head in the mantle and stand in the doorway. And there with his head wrapped in the mantle, once again, the aged prophet of God. Oh, we need preachers that'll wrap their head in a mantle and hear the voice of God. Don't have to get your sermon of a sermon.com. I don't have to have another pastor send me a year's worth of his sermons. I can wrap my head in a mantle and hear the voice of God speaking to my heart saying, Lee, this is what the Spirit of God saying to the church. This is what needs to be echoed in every hillside and every valley. Men and women need to be confronted. The Spirit of Jezebel is at work. The enemy is seducing God's children to commit fornication and to sell themselves out in idolatrous practices. When God said to Elijah, God said, I want you to rise in your anointing. He was ready to die. But God said, I'm not through with you just yet. I'm not through with you. He said, I want you to go anoint the next king, which is Jehu. I want you to anoint the next prophet, Elisha. And by the way, I got 7,000 men. 7,000. You think you're the only one. No, I got 7,000 that have not bowed to Baal nor kissed that, that, that evil idol. And so God's got a remnant. That's why I don't judge the health of our church, whether we're the biggest church in town, whether we are the church that most people want to go to. Listen, I can't be responsible for those things. It's my responsibility to preach the truth in love, to speak it with a conviction that is born of the Holy Spirit. And so in closing today, and I mean that in all truth, in closing, 2 Kings gives us the story. I just want you to read it with me. I've been telling you about it for two weeks. I want you to read it with me. It's 2 Kings chapter 9. Phil's going to put it on the screen. I'm even going to look back there. Uh, 2 Kings 9 verses number 30 and 37. It says when Jehu, now Jehu had been anointed by Elijah to be the next king of Israel. And Ahab is now perished in battle. Jehu did not kill Ahab because he wouldn't touch the armies of God or the anointed of God. But what he did was Ahab went out to battle and he was killed in battle. And Jehu has become the next king of Israel. And so he went to Jezreel. Jezreel was where the palace of Ahab and Jezebel was. And Jezebel heard about it. And she painted her face and she teared or tired her head. And she looked out at a window, 31st verse. And as Jehu entered in at the gate, he said, had Zimri, she said to him, she called down. And she said, had Zimri, that was his father, peace, who slew his master, had Zimri, peace and he lifted up his face to the window and he said this who is on my side who and there looked out to him two or three eunuchs I just wanted you to read it and he said to her to the eunuchs throw her pastor this violent I'm telling you you got to get violent in the spirit you got to get violent against the demonic spirits that are seducing God's children and that are attempting to seduce you 
If you've been struggling, if you've been struggling with sexual promiscuity in your own life, you got to get violent in the spirit and say, I'm not going to live like that any longer. I was enticed to commit fornication, but God has called me out. I got to have a bold spirit. Jehu said, throw her down. And they threw her down. And she fell from that upstairs window. And then the horses trampled her underfoot. We'll close right there. Let me tell you today, church family. Let me tell you real quickly. The violent casting down of this woman determined to lead Israel into idolatry through appealing to her flesh, their fleshly, carnal, sensual appetite corresponds to you and I casting down the appetites and the desires of our flesh and speaking to principalities and powers that are seducing God's children to commit fornication. I'm preaching the truth in here today. The Bible tells us personally, personally, should obey it in the lust thereof. Galatians 5 says, if you are Christ, then you've crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Ephesians says, don't walk as the other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Everybody's doing it, Pastor Brown. Every church, it doesn't matter. People are cohabitating together. They're sexually active before their covenant of marriage. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. God's called us to be holy. Come on, somebody. God's called us to be distinctly different. He said, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, including fornication. Put it to death. So in conclusion today, Daryl, if you don't care to join me on the platform this morning in closing, Jesus said, I have somewhat against thee because you're suffering that woman Jezebel. Go back to Revelation 2 with me for a moment in your mind. God is speaking. He said, Pastor, what's the word to this church today? Jesus said, I have something against thee. You suffered that woman Jezebel to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication. Let me tell you today in my sincere Application of this text, the spirit of Jezebel has and is at work in our culture. It's at work in our community, and unfortunately, it's at work within our church. The spirit of Jezebel. You know, said Pastor Brown, books were written about the spirit of Jezebel, and we were taught that that was a controlling person, a manipulative person who arises in the church and tries to get their own way and those kind of things. That may be the case. But here, the scripture says that when something is seducing you to commit fornication and to validate it doctrinally, to appease you, to appease you, to appease your carnal appetites, that's the work of that spirit. You say, Pastor, is that really the case? I don't know. I'm just being honest with you. These are the things that I know, I believe with all my heart. You say, Pastor, can I really trust you know, a pastor like you? So I, well, if you, if, you, if you don't have good eyesight, you go to an eye doctor. <coughs> if a woman's about to have a baby, she doesn't go to a foot doctor. Come on, she goes to an OBGYN doctor. Come on. Listen, we've given ourselves over to the study of these things. We've given ourselves to prayer and to hear the voice of God locked away with our head, you know, underneath that mantle saying, God, what's going on in our culture? Why is it so easy for people to practice sexual promiscuity or sexual fornication and still be active in the church? Why is it so easy? Because the spirit of Jezebel is at work. She seduced even God's children to commit fornication. And I believe I believe that you and I, by the Spirit, individually, we need to repent when we've given prey to that Spirit. Come on now. I'm being honest with you. I can't repent for any of you. I can, print, I can repent a general prayer. For, but let me tell you, repentance is individual. And it can be corporate if individuals sincerely unite their hearts together. But these are personal things. These are personal things. But I'm just telling you today, we are confronted with so many men and women even in the church who are giving themselves over to sexual sin without conviction you gotta pull that thing down you gotta tear that thing down and deal with this does that make sense here today now listen here's the thing I believe the spirit of Elijah has been upon me to confront that spirit the way Elijah did and it was hard. 
Elijah showed. This is not easy. I told you last week, I went back and listened to the end of my sermon. I wasn't trying to make shift the attention to me, and I wasn't trying to be an old pitiful little preacher and say, this ain't easy, just look at my life. No, no, I'm just telling you, that spirit seeks to intimidate pastors like me because it, it belittles us for what's taking this old line stance of just applying the truth to your life on a daily basis. But it tries to intimidate us in the sense that we measure all of our churches by whether or not we have the highest attendance in town. And I'm telling you, I don't believe that today. God has called our church. There may not be another church in Hebrews, I don't know, that's willing to cast that spirit down, but I want First Assembly to say, you know what? This thing's out of control. We got to pull this thing down. We got to bind this spirit and we got to teach our children and teach the, our fellowship to come on how they should walk in holiness and in sanctification the spirit of Elijah was upon me to confront the spirit and to anoint Jehu Jehu is you you've got to throw it down you've got to throw it down in your own life you know I prayed about it and I said God how do I wrap this up because these are very very difficult subject matters this is not something that I can just simply say you know if you're struggling with sexual sin slip your hand up you know, you don't do that. I'm not trying to do I'm not going to do that. But God forbid that I don't create an environment where if there is somebody under the sound of my voice that you don't have the opportunity to deal with these issues and come to the place where you realize, you know what, the only person that can change this situation is you. The only person that can make better decisions is you. Come on. The only person that can truly repent is you. So let's let our heads be bowed and our eyes closed before God. I'm going to just let you have just a moment.